All right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday worship. My name is Thomas. I'm part of the pastoral staff here. If this is your first time, we want to welcome you to our Sunday worship. And you're here on a great Sunday because today we are starting uh, not only a new sermon series, but kind of a new vision for this upcoming year that we are calling A Year in Prayer. And the reason why we're calling it A Year in Prayer is we want to be a church that creates a culture of prayer here by practicing prayer both personally and corporately. And to kick that off, we're doing a sermon series for the next few weeks to learn about prayer and also to learn how to practice prayers. And there's different types of prayers that Christians practice, whether it be prayers of adoration or intercession or unceasing prayer, silence and solitude. And the way the series is going to work is I found this kind of poetic way of phrasing those different types of prayers that we're going to tackle each week. And it's on the screen right here. Uh, One way to look at it is praying in the way we were talking to God, talking with God, listening to God, being with God, and us doing this together. And that's the hope that we go through the series to learn that this is what prayer is. This is how we experience prayer. And to kick off this series, we're going to look at the most famous prayer that's there in the Bible that Jesus has taught. It's from the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 4. And here at our church, we believe that when we read the scriptures, our God is speaking as alive. So can we all stand together if you're able? Luke chapter 11, this is in verses, just verses 1 to 4. Luke writes in verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is a reading of God's word. Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord, as we learn about prayer, help us, O God, to have a spirit of prayer in our own hearts. May we be able to have a humble posture and to see, O Lord, what prayer is, and most especially for us to be a church that would practice prayer this year. In your son's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So up on the screen here is a cave painting. It's in Maros, Indonesia. And the reason why this is a significant cave painting is because it is one of, if not the, oldest pieces of arts in the world. It was created, or they believe it was actually painted in caves back in 40,000 BC. That's 40,000 years before Jesus was born that we see that these cave paintings appeared on the wall. And, you know, when you look at that initially, it's like, what is going on? It looks like something from a horror movie. Like, what type of painting is this? And again, not many people fully know, but the leading theory of what this painting is, of what this ancient civilization was doing where they were depicting art in this cave, was it was most likely spiritual invocations, or if one use a modern term, it was their way of praying. We don't know much about what happened in civilizations 40,000 years ago. We have no idea what they ate, what they drank, what they believed. But this painting gives us a glimpse. 40,000 years ago, some of the earliest civilizations, they prayed. They prayed. And it's not just back then, but even today, all around the world, no matter what type of religion you have, for some reason, there's just this human need to pray. In Saudi Arabia, Muslims bow down to the Mecca five times a day in prayer. In India, Hindus, they pray two times a day. Even in the United States, whether you're, if you're not a professing believer, if you're a straight up, I don't believe in the reality of a God, or I'm, I'm an atheist, 30% of atheists have said they pray. 
They don't read their Bible. They don't go to church. But prayer, for some reason, that's just a normal practice that comes even in somebody who does not believe in spiritual reality. Why is that? John Calvin, 16th century reformer, he says that human beings, we tend to have this natural instinct of the awareness of divinity. In other words, every human being, whether you know it or not, no matter what you believe, there's just this awareness, there's something more out there. And prayer is the human response to uh, respond to that reality. It's the natural human response to this awareness of something greater that's out there. And that's why Christians, if you read scripture, if you read church history, if you read any biography of any individual who made an impact for the kingdom of God, you'll always see that prayer was such a central part of their lives. Prayer was just something that the early church practiced. Some, prayer was something that just permeated the Jesus movement because prayer is an acknowledgement, a response to a greater reality. And we as followers of Jesus believe that greater reality is Jesus. And so prayer is so central in the life of the Christian and follower of Christ, the question we have to ask ourselves here at church is, how about you? Is prayer central in your life? Are you praying these days? How often do you pray these days? How good is your prayer? How do you even measure how good is your prayer? And probably the most personal question is, do you enjoy praying? Do you enjoy praying? John Mark Homer, he gave a a very succinct diagnosis of our culture. He says, quote, we live today in one of the most difficult times in all of human history to pray. It's never easy to pray, but today you could argue is probably the most difficult time period in human history for people to pray. Why? Let me give a couple of suggestions. Number one is distractions. Distractions. We are arguably the most distracted people in human history. Case in point, our phones. Multi-billionaires hire people whose job is to distract you. They are getting paid to create videos and TikTok reels and whatever it is to get your attention, to pay attention and build algorithms so that you will be glued to your phone. And so if you have to choose today between sitting silently and looking at thousands of cat videos or whatever you're into, the TikTok videos win all the time. We are a very distracted age. Here's a second reason why we struggle praying today. Affluence. We live in the most affluent and technologically advanced time in history. Why pray for a harvest to happen? Why pray for there to be fruit to be reaped when you could just go to Trader Joe's? Why pray when you find some type of disease that you don't know what's going on in your body? Why pray about that when you could go online and check WebMD? Why ask God for anything when you could just ask Siri? Why pray? We are the most affluent, technologically advanced culture in history, and that just really kills prayer. Here's a third reason why we struggle praying, cynicism. We live in a secular culture that all the more removes the idea of spirituality and God. And so one big question that even comes in our minds a lot is, does prayer even do anything? Like, does prayer really make a difference in the world? Because from your personal experience, you might believe that, you know, I prayed as a child. I prayed for really critical things I wanted in my life, and God did not answer those prayers. So you personally just kind of have this resignation about prayer doesn't really work. Or it might even be a twisted version of theology that you have where you believe God is sovereign. He is so sovereign, in fact, that no matter whether I pray or not, he's going to do what he wants anyways, so why should I even pray? And just that type of belief and mentality of God just kills prayer. And a lot of us, that's what we believe. 
We believe our prayers, it doesn't really do anything. But here's the last reason why we struggle prayer that probably is the biggest reason why is boredom. It's boredom. I mean, what's, for a lot of us here, have you ever tried praying? And if you're like me, this is like the, the way prayer feels. Like you'll sit down, you go, okay, it's 2024. I'm gonna, I want to build my prayer life. So you sit down, you have a list and you pray and then you close your eyes and you pray. And after you pray through all of it, you look at the time, only two minutes passed. And you're like, oh man, that's not nearly godly enough. And so you try to think of more things to pray about, but then all of a sudden you just feel really tired and you get these notification bings on your phone. You go, oh my gosh, that looks like an emergency. And you check it. Somebody got traded on the basketball team. You check that and you go, oh, back to prayer, you try to pray, but now you already lost your concentration, so you just kind of forget prayer, prayer's over, you stand up, go back to the rest of your day, and that's your prayer life. And so the next day when you're meant to pray again, you just find all the excuses not to do it. It's a busy season, I just, I just don't have time to pray. It's a busy day, I just can't pray today, maybe tomorrow. I have young kids, have you ever dealt with young kids who cry every hour? It's really hard for me to pray right now. Or man, I just can't sit still. Like my body, I'm the type of person where I can't sit still, I have to keep moving. I have ADHD, like I've been diagnosed. And I'm t- you just have all these reasons to give of why we can't pray and so we don't pray. And so here's the question we have to ask ourselves today. If prayer is so difficult and we get really nothing out of it except guilty feelings, why should we bother praying? Why is our church calling everyone here, let's spend a year dedicated to prayer? And let me just offer two reasons why we're still doing this. One reason why we are calling our church to pray is you really need to pray because this upcoming year, you're gonna experience some major burdens I mean, if 2023 was an indication for some of you, I know some of you went through some stuff. Some of you, maybe it was a peaceful year, but just know 2024, it might be a little bit different. And the question is, what are you going to do with that? All the burdens and uncertainties you have about your career, which I know some of you have, you have no idea where your career is headed. There's big decisions you have to make. You're not really sure what the right one is with family planning, with whatever, with your property, your your parents getting older, whatever it might be, any burdens you have, what are you going to do with those burdens? Worry about it? Netflix? Gaming? We've tried all that before, and we're just as burdened. And the reason why that, those, different me- those different coping mechanisms does not help is because those distract you from your burdens. Whereas prayer, the testimony of prayer is it doesn't distract you, it transforms your burdens. We need prayer to deal with the burdens of our lives. But also, the reason why we want to pray is not just because we're going to experience burdens this year, but we want to invite you to experience the goodness of God. We said last week, if you want to experience revival in your heart, if you want to experience God's presence, where he's not just a concept, you just don't know about God, but you really experience him personally as a living God, you have to pray. That's the only way followers of Jesus will experience him. And I know personally for me, I don't say this from a mountaintop saying, and that's why you have to pray. Like it's, prayer has been the most challenging practice of all the practices for me personally. I don't know if you guys were here last year, we did a series on the practices of Jesus. I purposely skipped not preaching on prayer because I did not have a clear conscience. Not because I don't pray, but because I did not enjoy praying. It was a burden. It was not joyful. And I remember that struck a chord in me going, wow, I can't, I have to preach on prayer to our church because we need to pray, but how come I don't find it joyful? And so I spent like a whole journey this past year just like thinking about prayer, talking to people about prayer, meditating about prayer, practicing prayer. And my conscience is a lot clearer where, wow, I kind of for the very first time in my Christian life realized and discovered there is a taste of joy where I actually look forward to prayer and I never experienced that before. And I want our whole church to experience that.
that there can be joy and a desire to pray. And so, how do we do this? How do we pray in a way that overcomes our distractions, our affluence, our cynicism, our boredom? How can we pray this way? Luke 11, we are going to learn from the one person who practiced and taught prayer better than anybody. Jesus of Nazareth, he teaches us about prayer. And through this passage, we're going to learn three things. Number one, how Jesus prayed. Number two, how Jesus teaches us to pray. And number three, how we can begin to pray. So how Jesus prayed, how Jesus teaches us to pray, how we can begin to pray. First, how Jesus prayed. So Luke 11, the context is Jesus, he's with his disciples. They're on their way traveling to Jerusalem. And Jesus goes off to pray like he normally does. And the disciples, they notice Jesus praying. And they ask Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Look at verse 1 again, what it says in Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. This is very fascinating. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, The disciples only asked Jesus to teach them one time about one topic, prayer. Jesus taught them many things, but the one time the disciples themselves initiated, can you teach us this? It was about prayer, which is really fascinating and interesting because Jesus did a lot of amazing things. He healed the sick. He performed miracles. He exercised demons. And the disciples saw all of that, but they never went up to him going, hey, teach us that. But when they saw Jesus pray, they're like, teach us how to pray. That's the only time it's recorded in the Gospels where, Jesus, where the disciples asked Jesus for a lesson. Why? Why did they do that? The disciples, they knew how to pray. They were Jewish men. Jewish men back in the first century, they would regularly pray, pray three times a day. So why are they asking Jesus to pray? And the answer most scholars gives is because they've never witnessed anybody pray like Jesus. Dude, there's prayer and there's like prayer. And Jesus was a man of prayer. And when they saw Jesus's life doing all that he does, they're like, dude, this comes from this inner life of prayer that we see all the time. In Luke's gospel, it highlights more than any other gospel, how Jesus, he prays in virtually every kind of situation, joy and sorrow, being alone and in a crowd, in a home or up in the mountaintop. And one thing that's really fascinating is you always see Jesus making time to pray. For example, Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, this is what Luke writes. It says, but the news about him spread even more. Large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Very busy man. And yet he withdrew to deserted places and prayed. He's like, I got to make time to pray. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, During those days, he went out to the mountains to pray, and he spent all night in prayer to God. When do you pull all-nighters? When you have to do something. You do in your finals week, collegians, right? Midweek week, all-nighters. Jesus like, I have to pray all-nighter because I don't have time. Luke chapter 9, verse 28, about eight days after this conversation, he took along Peter, John, and James, and they went up to the mountain to pray. Got to go up this mountain. Why? I got to pray. Jesus was a busy person and he had every excuse not to pray, but Jesus always made time to pray. Whether he had to withdraw from the party, whether he had to stay up and pull an all-nighter, or whether he had to climb up a mountain, he made time to pray. And the reason why is because we always find excuses for things we don't want to do, but we always make time for things that we enjoy. My kids, they are obligated to read 30 minutes a day. Every day, reading time, 30 minutes, and they always find an excuse not to. Oh, Dad, but Mommy told me to clean my room. Oh, Dad, but we didn't finish dinner. We have to keep eating. Oh, Dad, our friends are here. What do I do with my friends? They find every excuse 
not to read for 30 minutes. They're, it's genius, actually. They, just, they could be like lawyers or like investigators. They could just make a case for like why they can't read. But it's interesting, too. My kids, we also give them 30 minutes of screen time every day. And man, they always make time for screen time. Like if we're like, dude, it's like, we have, it's kind of late. Like, no, let's just hurry up. We'll just do it real fast. They want to make their screen time possible. If we're like, we're not done with your dinner yet. They'll just stuff their dinner so that they can have screen time. Or if their friends are over, they'll realize they forgot their screen time. They'll kick their friends out so they can watch TV. Because they enjoyed screen time. They make time for screen time. And that's Jesus. Jesus never found excuses, but always made time to pray. Because he can only conclude he genuinely enjoyed prayer. Why? How did Jesus enjoy prayer to the point where he always made time to it? And why is there such a contrast with our experience? And that's where we have to go back and ask ourselves, what is prayer? What is prayer? For a lot of us here, if you grew up in the church, your view of prayer is primarily under this category of spiritual discipline. It's something that's good for you. It's like eating vegetables. Like, you know you should do it. You know you should eat it. And you know it's good for you. But you kind of dread it. It's a duty. It's an obligation. But that's the category that you're kind of fixated on. And the reason when you, when you have that type of category, again, it's not fully wrong. But what happens is you miss what the purpose of eating vegetables is. You miss the purpose of what prayer is. Paul Miller, he wrote this excellent book called The Praying Church. He, he defines prayer as this. Prayer is simply the medium. It's a medium, not an ends. It's the medium through which we experience and connect with God. If you lose that last part, you lose the whole power and meaning of prayer. It is the experience, it's the medium where we experience and connect with God. Or here's my very simple definition. It's on the next slide. Prayer is talking to God, or if you want to get deeper, it is being with God. The goal is not just to pray, but it's to connect with the living God. The practice of prayer is setting aside just dedicated time to be intentionally communicating and communing with the living God. And this is why Jesus enjoyed prayer. It wasn't just this religious activity like eating vegetables that's good for him. But Jesus, he really loved God and he really enjoyed being with him. And again, this is where we have to ask ourselves a question. Jesus always made time to pray we always find excuses to pray. Why is that? And there's probably only one or two reasons. Number one reason why we do that might be because, if we're really honest, we don't really love God. I had a friend back in college. He was dating a girl. Great girl. She was really pretty. She was a med student, going to be a doctor. Very similar values. She was somebody who everyone thought, dude, she's a great catch. And yet my friend, he never wanted to hang out with her. Any free weekend, like MLK weekend, like this weekend, he'd be like, what are you guys doing? We're like, don't you have a girlfriend? He's like, oh, yeah, whatever. And I remember after seeing that for a long time, and you know, she kind of felt it too. We're like, what, what's going on? He's like, you know, I really like her, but I just don't like being with her. I don't like talking to her. And he gives like all these kind of excuses. And I remember our conclusion as friends was like, I don't think you like this girl. Maybe you respect her. Maybe you care about her. But I don't think you really like her. And I think that's actually a lot of people in the church. You like God's community. You like learning about God. You even respect God. But you don't really love God. And that's why you have a hard time being with him. And for some of us, that might be something we have to check ourselves. Do I really love God? Because your prayer life kind of almost is an expression of your love for God. Now, there might be a few of us in that category. Others of us, it's like, no, I think I love God, but I just struggle praying. And it could be the reason why you struggle praying, and this is really humbling, is you don't really know how to pray. 
your Sunday school teachers taught you in third grade, but you've never updated that software of your lessons on prayer. And now you're like a 20, 30 year old and you're talking to God in the same way in Sunday school back in third grade. And it's because maybe that's not the way prayer works. Uh, you know, I, I'm, not to offend anybody, I find golf to be very boring. I try golfing, it's boring. And all the golfers out there, if, you, if I ever got into detail why I think golf is boring, you'll probably conclude, the reason why you think golf is so boring, Tom, is because you don't know how to golf. I'm like, you're right, I don't know how to golf. So it's boring to me. Not to, I'm, I'm offending everybody. Rock climbers, dude, it looks so lame. Like, <laughs> what is the appeal of climbing a rock? Like, it's just a rock. And yet all you folks are like into it. And I think if we had like a debate about this, it's like the reason why you don't think it looks appealing is because you've never tried it. You don't know how to climb a rock. I'm like, oh, I climb on playground. Like, no, that's not a real rock. That's not rock climbing. And I'll say the same thing about prayer. You think prayer is boring because you've never really prayed. Because so many people testify how beautiful, how meaningful, how deep prayer is. And you've, you have no idea what they're talking about because you think you prayed, but you really haven't. Why is it so hard to pray? I mean, prayer, it's so simple. If it's just talking to God, what's complicated about that? Like golf, I understand, rock climbing, but talking to God, what's the problem? Eugene Peterson, he's a pastor and author, and I love what he says. He says, imagine prayer, it's like going out to dinner with somebody at a restaurant, and it's someone who's really important to you. And imagine when you go to this restaurant, before the restaurant, it's like casual talk, after the restaurant, casual, but when you actually sit down at the booth and you sit with that one person who's really important, a child, a parent, a lover, whoever it might be, what happens is it starts to get more intentional. That's when it's like, hey, how's your day? Like, how are you doing these days? And you have like this intentional space to talk to them. And so in this moment, you're just talking, you're listening, you have moments of silence. A waiter might come every once in a while to pour you water, to clean your table, to bring you food, but you don't even notice the waiter. They're on the periphery. You're just kind of zoning in and focusing on connecting on the person in front of you. And what Peter sends says is that's essentially what prayer is. Prayer is that time where you sit down and you just connect intentionally with God. And this is how we run into problems. The reason why prayer gets all twisted is use that same analogy. What we experience in prayer is you go to the restaurant, you sit down with somebody, but the person you're sitting down with, it's not God, it's with you. And God is the waiter. He's on the periphery. Just every once in a while you go, oh yeah, there you go. Hey, you complain to him. Hey, you ask him for things. You might even thank him giving a tip. But God's in the periphery and you are just sitting down with yourself, hearing all your complaints, all your ideas, all your desires, just noise, noise, noise. It's just this giant bubble of self-absorption. And then afterwards you just feel just as heavy because you are not in the presence of another. You're just sitting there by yourself, absorbing your thoughts, worrying away while God's just on the periphery. And that's how we get prayer twisted. That's how we don't experience peace when we pray. And that's where as followers of Jesus, we have to remember what prayer is. Prayer for followers of Jesus, it's not this moment where we go inward as helpful as that might be. It's not this moment where it's like inner peace and silence as helpful as that might be. It's not this time where you just kind of focus on your thoughts and your feelings only, and that's how you get deep into that. Again, all that's helpful. But what prayer is, is you are in the presence of the living God, And the gospel is a message that tells us, and you have a relationship with this God. Jesus died so that you can pray, to be in the presence of another. And when you discount his presence and you're just kind of in your own little world, you are not experiencing what the gospel has won for you. Prayer is a time where we connect with someone else and we are in the presence of another. And so before we move on, 
let me ask a quick question. All of us are busy. That's never going to change. You're never going to have time for prayer. You will never have time for a robust prayer life. But here's a question. Will you make time? Some of you, you have a hard time making time because you honestly just don't love God. At least not the way that drives you to pray enough. And my encouragement would be, get to know this God. Join our Bible reading plan. Know who this God is and see what that does to your prayer life. Know who this God is. Others of us, though, again, you want to pray, but it's just hard. You don't know how, and that leads to our second point, how Jesus teaches us to pray. How did Jesus pray in a way that was so life-giving, where he just made time to pray? And Jesus tells us, verses 2 to 4. Let's look at the passage again. Luke writes, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This passage is what's famously known as the Lord's Prayer. A lot of you might have heard of it. A lot of you might have even memorized it. But before we get into it, let's make a couple observations about the Lord's Prayer. You'll notice that in Luke's version, it's really different than the traditional version that you're all familiar with, right? Because the traditional version of the Lord's Prayer, it's the Matthew version. It's a little bit fuller, a little bit longer. So why is there a discrepancy between Luke and Matthew? And this gives us a hint. Jesus most likely taught the Lord's Prayer on many occasions to many different crowds, always different versions, because the point of the Lord's Prayer is not this word-for-word prescription that you're supposed to pray. The point of the Lord's Prayer is it's a pattern to pray. It's something to strengthen your prayer life. Imagine, again, golfers, if your golf swing lacks power, you just cannot hit the golf ball pretty far. And imagine the experienced golfer goes, hey, I see what you're doing, do it like this. And he fixes your swing and it gives you just more power to use your driver. That's kind of like what Jesus is doing right here. Oh, you're praying this way, it doesn't give you life. Let me show you a way to pray that will empower your prayer life. That's what the Lord's prayer is meant to be, to give you power by showing you a pattern of how to pray. Also notice the Lord's Prayer in every version of it, it's always intentionally structured with two different halves. So this is the Lord's Prayer up here. Notice the first half, it's very much, oh, go back. Yeah, the first half is very much Father, your, your. It's all about the other. It has nothing to do with you. Whereas the second half, it's all about us, us, us. When we think about prayer, the natural instinct of prayer is like something you need, something you want. So the main reason why you pray is when you're in a crisis, when you need something, an emergency. That's when our prayer life gets ramped up versus when it's times of peace, when you have no worries, our prayer life just kind of stops. And Jesus, he's saying, if you do that, that's your version of prayer. You totally missed the point of prayer because that's only the second half. The second half of prayer is about you. Prayer is actually, next slide, it's all about orientation. We have to orient ourselves a certain way, orient ourselves to a certain reality that's there that we are just blind to see every day. And until you are able to reorient your reality, then intercession makes sense. Then there will be peace for all the burdens that you have. But we flip it. We do intercession. Lord, please give me this. Please give me this. Please do this. And at the very end, and you are great. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's like, man, you totally just flipped it. And that's why our prayer life lacks so much power and peace. Prayer, the way Jesus prays, is meant to orient yourselves or reorient to reality. What is that reality that we're supposed to orient ourselves? And the Lord's Prayer teaches us. Here's a couple of things the Lord's Prayer tells us to orient ourselves. Number one, reality number one, God is our Father. That is the first thing you have to orient yourself every single day. He says to them in verse two, when you pray, say, Father. Call God Father. 
For us, it's in the church, we're like, oh yeah, we don't even think much about that. First century Jews, we'd be like, whoa, that is revolutionary. In the Old Testament, you know how many times God is called Father in the Old Testament, which is like 75% of this book? 15 times. 15 times God is called Father, and never is he directly addressed as Father. In the Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know how many times the word Father is used to describe Jesus? 165 times. And directly to God the Father, 60 times. And the reason why God is called Father so much more often in the Gospels versus the Old Testament is this is how Jesus related to God. He has come to reveal God to us because Jesus knows the natural human disposition towards God is to view him as a distorted, angry, disapproving, disappointed person who looks at you and looks at all the things that you've done wrong. That's the natural image that people have of God. And who wants to talk to a God like that? Who wants to approach somebody where you know they're kind of slightly disappointed and a little bit like, ugh, about you? And that's why a lot of us don't pray. And so Jesus, he wants to shatter that image for us going, no, that is not who God is. God is a father. That is the primary way that I relate to him. And if you're in me and you're with me, that's how you should relate to God as your father. Now, some of us were like, amen to that. Awesome. But a lot of us here, that doesn't really help you. It might actually complicate things for you because you don't have a good relationship with your father. You have a lot of father wounds. It's really complex. That might make us even turned off to going to God to pray if he's our father. And that's why it's really important to remember the main description of what kind of father God is. Do you guys remember a few weeks ago, the main most repeated verse in the Bible? The most repeated verse in the Bible by the Bible. Do you guys remember? I'm gonna keep saying this throughout the whole year. It's not where you think. It's in the book of Exodus. The most repeated verse in the entire Bible. Exodus chapter 34, verse six. The Lord, he is compassionate and gracious, a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. I'm just going to focus on one word there. That word compassionate is the Hebrew word rahum. It's the feeling of a mom who's holding her baby, a nursing mom, and the way she feels an affection towards that child. Look at this picture, this next one. This is a picture. This is of my son Judah. He don't look like that now. This is back when he was nine months years old. Man, when he was that age, like when he would do anything, like weird affection just comes. Like it could be like he smiles, like, oh, but he could not be smiling at all, just this affection. He could have like a lot of shame where he poops in his pants. Like, it's all good, man. It's all good. He could be throwing a tantrum. He could be crying. He could be sleeping. It's just like this affection that's there. And nothing he does will change that affection. Well, he'll still annoy me. I'd be like, dude, don't do that. He'll still be, I'd be like, hey, I gotta correct him. But man, this like affection is just there with them. It's different now that he's eight, a little bit different, but this is the word, compassion. It's the, it's the literal word in Hebrew is womb. It's a mother's womb. And it's trying to communicate, this is who God is to Israel, to those who are the true Israel. When you come to him, Jesus is saying, you have to reorient your mind about God, that his primary disposition towards you is not disappointment and disapproval. The underlining feeling that God has for you is rahum, compassion, like a mother who views a nursing child. That's who you're praying to. And you have to orient yourself to that every single day. Here's the second thing the Lord's prayer tells us to orient ourselves. Reality number two, God is uniquely beautiful. 
Verse two, he said to them, when you pray, don't just call him father, but what do he say? Hallowed be your name. That word hallow is a unique word. We don't use it much today in the English, but it's literally the verb version of the word holy. Holy, again, a lot of us think it's just morality or being a good person. In Hebrew, the word holy, it means different, set apart. God is holy because he is different from all of creation. You've never seen anything like God. That's the whole point of the word holy when it describes God. And so when we pray to God, hallowed be your name, what we are praying is to remember that you are the most different being in all the universe. May the world know this and may my heart remember this too. Because our hearts is so fickle. We hallow our careers. We hallow romantic relationships. We hallow reputation. But prayer is that one moment that we are praying to hallow be God's name in us. We know that his name is hallow. We just kind of forgot. Some of you guys know, I am the biggest Marvel comic fan. Like, I love Marvel comics. MCU movies, like, I am such a, like, you know, shameless fan. Like, if I remember Iron Man, and I remember all the way to Endgame. And I'm such a nerd that there'll be moments where when I go on Instagram reels, I'll just watch audience reactions to Avengers Endgame. Like, all the moments, and some of you know what I'm talking about, all the moments that, that happen where the crowd's cheering. I'm like, I remember those moments. Beautiful moments, like, glorious, glorious moments. And I'm so sad right now, because what happened to Marvel? Like, have you seen Marvel recently? I just saw Echo a few days ago. Oh my gosh, Captain Marvel. I'm like, come on, like where, what happened to the glory? Like what happened to it? And I heard Marvel, they know something is wrong. So Bob Iger, he's back in Disney to fix things. And the prayer of my heart is Iger, let hallow be the name of MCU once again, because it is glorious. And people today, they don't know. My son Judah, he don't know how glorious Marvel is. He's going to think it's this current iteration. But they have to know, because I know it is glorious. In fact, I have to remember it's glorious, because I am so tempted to give up, but I have not given up yet. Hallowed be the name of MCU. That is my personal prayer. And the Lord's prayer, it's telling us something a little bigger. God is the most beautiful, unique thing you've ever experienced in all of creation. And we just are so quick to forget. And when you pray, it's that moment that you're acknowledging, hallowed be his name. He is the most different, unique thing of all of creation. And you've tasted and seen it before. Let me taste it again. Let the world taste it. That's what we're praying every time to wake us up to that reality of the beauty of God. Third reality we wake up to, our prayers make a difference. The Lord's prayer teaches us our prayer makes a difference. Verse two, look what Jesus says to pray for. Your kingdom come. Jesus came, he brought the kingdom. The kingdom is here. It's not fully here. We don't see justice, righteousness, and all reality becoming under the reign of Jesus yet. And one day the kingdom will come, we're told. But here's the question, how is the kingdom gonna come? And the problem everyone thinks here is, oh, it's just gonna come. Like Jesus, no matter what happens, the kingdom's gonna come. So that's just the assurance that we have. But Jesus tells us something different. He doesn't go, hey, pray to wait for the kingdom. But he said, no, pray for the kingdom. Pray for it to come. That's how it comes when you pray. And that just goes against all of our thoughts about prayers, if we're really honest. For a lot of us here, when we think about prayer, we think, oh, prayer to meditate? Sure, I'm, I'm down with that. Prayer as like centering my soul? Sure, that's good for me. Prayer to like form me by the power of the spirit, you're even down for that. You could jive with that. But prayer that makes a difference in the world, prayer that makes changes in your life, prayers that will change the status of your job, 
Prayers that will change the status of your dating relationships. Prayer that will change your Monday. Do you believe that? Do you believe prayer can really do that? And a lot of us here, we are far too scared or disappointed or jaded to believe in something like that. Far too skeptical to believe in something like that because we've been disappointed many times. And yet you cannot avoid, this is how Jesus talks about prayer. If you want to see real, tangible changes that will not happen otherwise unless people pray, you have to pray. What if we took that command seriously by Jesus? You know what will happen? You will have a hard time not praying. You can't help but pray. And when you pray, you will begin to notice these small miracles just scattered throughout your week. It's really strange, but something starts to happen. And Jesus is saying, yeah, because that's what prayer is. The kingdom come. And we have to pray for that. Our prayers make a difference. <laughs> Lastly, what do we learn about prayer? The last reality is this. God wants to talk about everything. He wants to talk about everything. I remember before when I would pray and I was taught to pray, I don't know why, I just prayed to God in a way that I would never talk about in a way with anybody else. Like I talked to God and just weird, like my voice got an octave like higher. I'm like, dear father. And I just like kind of talk in this interesting way. I'm like, father God, thank you for your goodness and grace and forgive me of my sins and let there be like revival. And I talk about like all this like spiritual stuff. I never talk like that with my friends. Like, it's like a different person the way I converse with God versus my friends. Conversely, all the stuff I talk with my friends, like, you know, hey, this is how my relationships are, my work is stressful. All the ways I talk with my small group, I never talk to God about those things. I never talk about that. It was like this total separation that's there. Because if you're like me, a lot of us here, we think the only things that God cares about to pray about is spiritual things, like your sins, like the kingdom, like overseas missions. That's worthy of prayer. But your breakups, your struggle of finding a job, your struggle with your family, your struggle with your parents, that weird toe fungus that you might have, you know what it is, all the, whatever random things that's there, ah, oh, that's stuff I share with my small group maybe, at most, at most. And yet look what Jesus says to pray for in verses three to four. Jesus says, after you know who God is, give us each day our daily bread. Oh, bread is like this common thing. Pray for that. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Oh, our relationships. And lead us not into temptation. Temptation, when are you tempted? All the time. On your drive to work, when you want to flip off that person who cut you off, that boss who really annoys you. That's when you're tempted to react. And Jesus is like, tell me. Tell me all of that. God wants to know all of that. Because even though he is the God of the universe and you feel like, dude, those are so beneath what God cares about, he is your father. And it's really different when God is your father. When I come home from work, my kids talk to me about the most useless things. They go, hey, guess what this new Pokemon card I got? I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, dude, like, I have no idea that's the difference of that Pokemon versus your other Pokemon cards. Hey, tell, this is the dream I had last night. I'm like, oh, interesting. It's totally incoherent. This incoherent dream they told me. Or like, hey, dad, can I tell you the five things I want for my birthday? I'm like, dude, your birthday's in July. Like, what are you telling me right now? And yet, I am actually really happy they tell me this because I'm their dad. I want to know like everything about my kids. In fact, parents, you might notice, I'm going to get really sad the day they only talk to me about special things, important things. If the only time my kids tell me about like significant things in their life, that'd be kind of sad for me as a parent. I want to know everything because I want a relationship with my child in that way. God, the father, he wants that relationship too. Not just the spiritual things, not just the important things, everything. He is very much welcoming. I want to hear everything, 
because God wants a relationship with his people and prayer is that medium where we form and create that relationship. And so do you see how, if this is the way Jesus approaches prayer versus the way we approach prayer, why there's such a difference of our motivation? Look on the screen. Next slide. Jesus, we view God as being disappointed and disapproving. That's our default position. Jesus, next slide. He views God as a compassionate father. We view prayer as the main point is to get things. So we don't want things, we don't pray. Jesus' main point of prayer is to experience beauty. We view prayer as what happens, happens. Whether I pray or not, it's going to happen. Versus Jesus says, no, prayer makes real difference. And we only talk about spiritual things. Versus for Jesus, talk about everything. The reason why we don't pray is because we're all in the left column. There's this barrier that's just kind of there. And again, I don't blame us. If that's your view of prayer, who wants to pray? But Jesus has come to break that barrier, to reveal this is who God is. He is a compassionate father. He is more beautiful than anything you've experienced. It really changes things when you talk to him. And he wants you to talk about everything. Doesn't that change the way you want to view prayer? How you approach prayer? And yet through Christ, that's the reality for us. And he's teaching us through the Lord's prayer, this is how we are to pray. And so, lastly, and I'll be very brief, how can we begin to pray? Learning to pray is a lot like learning a foreign language. I mean, if you ever try to learn a foreign language, you know, you can read all the books you want, take all the classes, watch all the TV shows of that foreign language. The main way you're going to learn the foreign language is to speak the foreign language. Same thing with prayer. Listen to all the sermons, read all the books, here, have all the resources. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. And my hope for the sermon series is not that we'll all walk away after the sermon series learning how to pray, but I hope our church, we actually pray. Let's stumble forward. Let's learn in the journey like how to pray. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy, but we're praying, and that is the call for our church this year, a year of prayer. So how can we do this? Let me just offer a couple of uh, last tidbits. We need a plan to pray. That's probably the biggest thing. Uh, Peter Gray, he says on the screen, he says, after decades of night and day prayer, I've come to believe that 99% of it is just showing up, making the effort to become consciously present to God who is constantly present to us. 99% of, prayer li- of your prayer life will be activated just by scheduling it, just by showing up to whatever place you're going to pray at. So a couple of quick suggestions for us is, when will you pray? Consider, when will you pray? What's the best time for you to pray? Is it the morning? Is it the evening? Is it the afternoon? Is it after work? Is it before work? Here's one advice. Don't pick the worst time. Pick the best time. Don't pick right before I sleep. I'm going to just, yeah, that's going to be my time. No, no, no. If that's the worst time, do pick the most meaningful time and make that time be the space where you pray. Where are you going to pray? Do you have a spot where you can pray? I almost guarantee if you don't have a spot to pray, you're not going to pray. You need like a chair, like you're, that's the chair that I pray in. You need like a corner of the room, like that's the corner. You need like my car, like this is the sacred space. Or like my office, like right before I start work, like this is office cubicle, this is where I pray. You need to get, prime your body, prompt your body to get ready, like this is prayer time. Your, your body's not going to follow you unless you kind of prompt your body with whatever posture you have. Speaking of posture, what's your posture of prayer? Some of you, sitting still. Some of you can't sit still. You need to walk. Some of you, you just need to get on your knees. Whatever it might be, you need to prompt your body, get ready. This is, I'm praying. My body, we're, we're going to pray right now. And also, how long will you pray? Don't start where you should be. Start with where you are. 
Some of you are like, you know, oh, I should pray like I did before, like, like one hour, maybe two or so forth. Dude, that's an awesome goal. Maybe not right now. You're a long ways for that. Try three minutes. Try three minutes every day. Try five minutes. Try 10 minutes. Wherever you're at, try a certain period of time. And the main goal is not how much time you're praying. The main goal is, are you connecting to God in this time? And however long that takes, that's the practice that you do. Last exhortation, not just planning, but we have to learn how to pray. And I don't want to just give like shout out to three different groups. For those of you here, your prayer life is pretty non-existent. You pray before meals and that's it. Like you pray before breakfast and that's the extent of your prayer life. That's a lot of us. If you're there, here is one practical practice this week. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day this week. Might be kind of strange, might sound almost elementary, but you have to start somewhere and praying through pre-made prayers gets you going. There's a reason why throughout church history, they taught kids pre-made prayers because it gets the kids to learn the rhythms and the cadence of prayer. I used to look down on pre-made prayers, like, dude, it has to be real and authentic and come from the heart. You know the Psalms are pre-made prayers, right? The entire book of Psalms are written by other people and they are meant to not just be read through, pray through. Pre-made prayers don't stay there, but they're like the notes of, of starting an instrument. And if you haven't touched that instrument in a long time, pray through the Lord's Prayer. It takes literally 15 seconds. And yet let that be your starting point where you're just kind of getting your body in tune, your spirit in tune and starting to learn how to pray again. Recite the Lord's Prayer. For some of you here though, if you're like, you know, I actually do pray and I make space for prayer, it's just a little bit dry. Our church, we actually want to provide a resource for you. Uh, the importance of quiet time is something that might have feel like vestiges from our junior high days, but it's actually really important. And quiet times, I realize it's actually a mixture of science and solitude, scripture reading and prayer. And we want to help our church guide, hey, what does a quiet time look like? And just to preview that, we're going to send you a resource very shortly of what that looks like and what that means. Community groups, when you talk about it? But here's what the quiet time is. Turn to the next slide. The acronym is PRAY. It's kind of like a summary of the Lord's Prayer. And this is what we exhort people to do. P, pause. Take a moment just to pause. Silence and solitude. Come before the Lord. R is reorient. Read scripture. Join our Bible reading plan. It takes like 10 minutes tops. 10 minutes tops to do that. And then next, ask. This is where you let it all out. What's on your heart? What is the everything you want to bring to God that you need? And then lastly, the wise yield, surrender. This part might be most mysterious for us. I'm going to preach a whole sermon about that. But yield your soul to the Lord. And in the, in the resource, there is a, for you busy people, a 10-minute version of this. Like, how do I just get my soul ready? For those of you who have more time, there's a 30-minute version for you if you want to get deeper. Wherever you are at, we want to help you to really architect a way to pray personally and let this be something that happens throughout the year. Lastly, before we close, church. You know the Lord's Prayer, it's when it says, hey, it's not pray, forgive me of my sins. It doesn't say that, right? Forgive us. The Lord's Prayer, what Jesus is saying is, if you want to pray, if you want to activate your prayer life, you have to do it together. When was the last time you prayed with somebody? It's been a long time. And that's one thing as a church, we want to bring prayer into the corporate life of our church. But we are praying in our community groups. We are praying in our Sundays. We have spaces outside of Sundays we can pray together because the only way prayer is going to feel fully like a prayer that's really cultivating an experience and a connection with God, we have to do it together. And so as I invite the praise team up, can I just lift up a word of prayer for us as we begin this year and this journey in a year of prayer? Let's pray.